verses. That's to serve you. And, and, and actually, uh, I've debated whether to project the verses on the screen, uh, merely because um, I think it can create habits that aren't good for us of, of looking in our Bible. And so I'll, throughout the message, I'll be referring back to the passage. We won't necessarily project the verses on the screen as I do that. So the best thing is to have the Bible right in front of you, so as I make reference, you can look through. And, and boy, there's probably a... a a hundred reasons why to do that. One of the, those reasons, though, is that the preaching of God's Word is really the desire to, to, to explain God's Word, to proclaim God's Word and as His servants, but ultimately to ground you in His Word, not in what I say. Uh, so the be- very best thing I can do at the end of the message is to have so communicated what the Word of God says that you go away saying, that is a great passage. I want to go home and read that some more. And I want to think about how to live in light of that and live under the very words of God in the Bible. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why I would, I'm jealous for you to have the Bible in front of you as I go through it so you can dig in and you can become convinced of what the Word of God says and you yourself can hear God speaking to you personally through the Word. So, so if you would like a Bible, we'll be glad to get one in your hands um, as we go through it so that you can best benefit from His Word. Uh, for those of you who maybe haven't met me, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm uh, the lead pastor here, and we're glad you're here. And we are glad that God is a speaking God. He's given us this book, uh, which is, amazingly so, the very words of God. And so we can hear God speak to us. We can learn about God from this book. Uh, and, and it says in this book that the Word of God is living and active, that, that His Word is not just content, not just black and white print, but it's living. That God, the God, the infinite God of the universe speaks to us through these words. This book contains really his highest revelation to us. He's shown himself in many ways. He's shown himself most fully and clearly in this book. And so we as a church uh, love to go to his book and learn from it. And we are in a series right now called Songs for the Journey, looking at Psalms 120 through 134. These are psalms that were used by God's people in the Old Testament time as songs for the journey, for literal journeys. Uh, For they would journey to Jerusalem regularly to worship, to go to this place that was really the center point of their worship of God. It was the place of God's presence. It was a place of God's peace. Jerusalem means literally city of peace. Uh, It was the focal point of fulfillment of the promises of God. It was the place where God's people gathered. And so they would sing these songs on the journey as they looked forward to this place, as they meditated on the blessing of Jerusalem, as they dealt with life and all its different circumstances as well. So these psalms apply to us. They apply to us because we need to learn how to live life in all the different circumstances we face. They apply to us, too, because we are on a journey as well. Our home is not, uh, is not ancient Jerusalem. Our home as believers is the new Jerusalem. There will be a day when Christ comes back and, and He establishes and fulfills all things uh, in a new Jerusalem where God dwells with man on the earth. And that is our ultimate home. Uh, and we are on a journey there. We, we taste and experience bits of it here. Uh, as we go, the... the New Testament church is the closest approximation to the New Jerusalem. But we are on a journey. So these psalms instruct us. They inspire us. They, they teach us how to live life on a journey. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 126 as we continue through our series. 
And this wonderful psalm is a psalm that celebrates God's past blessing and then looks forward and prays for his future blessing. And it has much to teach us. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us as we learn from Psalm 126. Lord, thank you for Psalm 126. Thank you, Lord, for um, what you did however many years ago, thousands of years ago, in working through the individual who wrote this. Thank you, Lord, for guiding him and directing him and, and, and doing it not only to serve him and the people at that time, the people of God at that time, but also to serve us today. You care about us. You're a God who knew all these things, even as you did this. And so we ask you now, Lord, to speak to us through Psalm 126. That you would work through your word. You'd change us. You'd help us to see you and understand life. And go from this place refreshed in you, equipped in you, changed by you, and sent in you as well. Proclaim your good news. We thank you, Lord. This, this is on your heart. We thank you for the mercy the blood of Christ that covers us, the Spirit of God that dwells amongst us. Do all these things and more, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's look at Psalm 126, starting in verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalm 126, 1-6. A marvelous psalm uh, full of, of wonderful celebration of God's blessing on his people. Uh, full of wonderful emotion and, and full of, of truth that really is essential for the Christian life. There's... There's truth in this psalm that that is, I think, essential for the Christian life. There's truth in this psalm that is necessary to understand how to live a rich, fulfilled life. There's truth in the psalm necessary for understanding how to live a holy, fruitful life. There's truth in the psalm that is really essential for victory over sin and the world and the devil. There's truth in this psalm that is really important for us to hear and grasp and wrestle with. If I can try to summarize the truth of this psalm, key truth of this psalm in a sentence, it would be this, that we must spend our lives rejoicing in what God has done and living for what He will do. We must spend our lives rejoicing in what God has done and living for what He will do. That's what this psalm teaches us, and, and I know this theme is, is resonating throughout these songs for the journey, of looking back and rejoicing at what God has done and looking forward to what God will do. And I do believe it is essential for us to understand that in our lives we must practice this disposition, this, this orientation of, of rejoicing in what God has done, looking back and rejoicing in what He has done and living for what He will do. 
So let's do that as we go through the psalm, learn about this. There's just two points I want to talk about. I want to talk about rejoicing in what God has done and then living for what He will do. The psalmist starts out saying, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Some translations say when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion. We were like men who dream. The, the word for fortunes or captives in Hebrew is, is, is really can be translated either way. And the idea here is that something that was lost was restored. That, that it was either fortunes, actually the blessings, or it was captives. And, and it, this psalm may have been a, a psalm that was written after the Jewish people were brought back from exile. It, it might have been written at another time, we're not sure, because this sort of phrase of restoring the fortunes uh, is used elsewhere in Scripture for other situations. But, but it certainly does fit well with the restoration from exile. If you know the story, Israel uh, was called of God. They were rescued from Egypt. The story goes back even further than that, uh, about God being gracious and calling the people to Himself. Sadly, the people wandering from Him again and again, but... but But picking up the story, as the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt, God graciously rescued them from Egypt. He called them to Himself. He called them to love Him. called them to love Him. He called them to love one another. And He established these ways of living, the law for them to live in, ways to to relate to Him, ways to, to obey Him, ways to love Him, ways to love one another. And they wandered from that. God sent prophets and leaders and they continued to wander and their leaders rebelled. And and it was about 400 years of God patiently calling them back and them persistently refusing and getting worse and worse and worse in their sin. Some horrific sin you can read about in the Scriptures. They became like the nations around them that had been disciplined and punished by the Lord earlier uh, for their foul sins. They, they, they persisted in that, and, and Lord, after 400 years of patiently calling, sent them into captivity. He allowed, he allowed powerful nations that were not, uh, not Christian nations, not God-fearing nations, to come in. First, the Assyrians came in. <clears throat> the Assyrians came in and, and conquered the northern tribes. And then later, the Babylonians came in and conquered the southern tribes and, and took a large part of the people of the land into exile. And they were, they were captive. They were basically slaves of sorts in a foreign land. And so they went from being this wonderful, once prosperous, God-fearing nation, a place of God's presence and His promises, and reduced to slavery and humiliation in a foreign land. And it may be that this psalm was written when they were restored after 70 years. In God's mercy, He brought them back. He brought them back to Israel. He brought them back with great blessing. Actually, at that point, the king of Persia had taken over Babylon. And, and God gave this king a heart for the Jewish people. And he commissioned them to go back and rebuild the temple. He blessed them with provision. And the people around them as well blessed them with abundant provision. So they went back to Israel to go back to establish the temple and the city once again with great blessing with material provision. And it may have been that at that point uh, in this dramatic reversal of fortunes for them that, that their mouths were full of laughter, that they were like those who dreamed. They came back just being blessed and, and perhaps wrote this psalm at that point. Whether it was their captivity or some other point, the, the fact is, is that they have experienced a dramatic reversal of fortune. 
And it says that in verse 1, when, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. It was so fantastic. It was like a dream. We were walking around like it was a dream. Have you ever had a, a point in life where you've experienced the blessing of God, some, some great blessing that, that it's felt like a dream? Uh, I think about my life, times in my life, I, I know when uh, the days following when I came to Christ were like that. They were just, I mean, it was like the wor- world previously was black and white, shades of gray. Uh, and it just was kind of a, a gray world. And all of a sudden I could see in color. That was kind of what it felt like. All of a sudden I could see in color. Life was different. I remember those days, the, those even those months uh, after coming to Christ. It was like I was in a dream. Um, my season of, of engagement and newlywed time uh, with Peg and my wife was, was like that as well. It's still like that at times as well, so just in case you're worried about that. <laughs> Peg's downstairs, so I didn't need to say that, but I said it anyhow. Honey, I love you. That's for the tape. Um, the birth of our kids... Other seasons like that. Um, But there's one season I was thinking of as I prepared this message was when the Lord brought us back to New England. Uh, We had been out of state for about eight years and really didn't know if we would ever come back. Uh, And we we loved where we were. We were in a good church in in Maryland and and in Pennsylvania. But uh, God had given us a call to New England. We're from here. And and every time we experienced something good in those churches, we always were thinking, Lord, we want to bring these things back. We want to see good churches built and strengthened here in New England. And, uh, and, and there were times when I agonized over not, not being here. Um, I can show you my journal entries from some of those times. And, and so finally, though, after eight years, the Lord brought us back. And not only did He bring us back, but He brought us back to plant a church uh, with some wonderful folks. And, and, and that first year in particular was just, was just like a dream for us. I can, Peg and I have no, numerous times said, you know, we've got to pinch ourselves to make sure we're not dreaming here. Because God had done something wonderful, and, and we didn't, you know, we didn't, wouldn't have planned that eight years previously. He had blessed us. That's what the psalmist is, is expressing. There's this wonderful blessing that they've experienced, and, and so they're like those who dream. It's just fantastic that God has done this thing for them, this, this restor- restoration of fortunes or this restoration from captivity. And then he goes on to talk more about the mood he, he, uh, that they're in. And, and uh, it's, this is poetic. Remember, the Psalms are poetic, and we, we don't always catch it in English. In Hebrew, it comes out more. But he, in verse 2, says, then, and then describes, and then. That's, it, it's poetic repetition. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongues with shouts of joy. He's, Hebrew poetry, often they repeat the same thing, but phrase it slightly different. Our, our mouths were full of laughter, and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. That, that the psalmist and the people were, were full of joy and laughter. They were rejoicing over what God has done. And that's, that's who we are as, as the people of God, as, as humans made in God's image. We are people who experience emotion. And, and, and to, to be joyful and to voice it and express it is appropriate. Um, and and uh, just a side point for us as a church, you need to know that it's appropriate to be expressive in church. I think some of us come from backgrounds where it's not appropriate. You're not supposed to, to do anything but just kind of stand there and sing your songs. And, and, and if you look at the biblical testimony, that's not there. Actually, it's full of expressiveness. And we understand that intuitively. And I think it's just kind of, sometimes we maybe think, 
uh, grew up in a way that we don't feel like we have permission to do that in church. But when you go to a Red Sox game or a basketball game, you, you are expressive and because you know you have permission there, right? And you know that's expected. So you don't worry, you know, when, when they score a touchdown and they jump up and go, yeah, you don't look, oh, 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 sorry, oh, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You don't do that. You, you yeah. Well, you can do that here because the Bible instructs us in that. We can be expressive. And, and when we reflect on the wonderful things of God, uh, it's appropriate to be expressive, appropriately expressive. With that, that that's, that's a good thing. I just want to invite you into that, to, to do that. And, and I encourage you to study the scriptures on that. It's, uh, it, this is a place where we should be celebrating the grace of God and what he's done in our lives. Well, that's what the psalmist is speaking of, this wonderful celebration, this wonderful sense of joy, what God has done. He's restored their fortunes, and they're, they're just enjoying the blessing. And again, this is a normal thing and, and that, that we do when we feel blessed, when we've experienced a, a, a great victory, we celebrate, we express it. I, I think of um, VE Day and VJ Day after World War II, um, the, the spontaneous celebrations. I think we have a picture to show uh, from that, and you guys have probably seen a lot of these pictures when the war, the, finally the war in Europe, and, the, and then later the war in Japan was done, uh, people just broke out into spontaneous expressions of, of joy and celebration. Uh, There's a famous one of the guy kissing the girl, the, uh, the nurse, um, which I don't necessarily recommend, but uh, that was a spontaneous <laughs> expression of joy. Yeah. Um, and just all sorts of celebration after this... This horrible war where it was 60 million people died in World War II. 400,000, more than 400,000 American soldiers were killed. And so when the war was finished, when, when the announcement was made uh, of the surrender and peace that, that came, there was just celebration. That's the sort of thing that Psalm 126 is talking about. They've had these fortunes restored to them, and they're, they're, they're just full of joy. Their mouths are full of laughter. And then this... this Statement two that the Lord has uh, that the nations they said among the nations the Lord has done great things for them this this restoral, re- restoration of fortune was so significant so profound that the, the nations around them heard about it and said surely God has done great things for them the the, the celebration uh, was known beyond just the country as well the nations around them saw the goodness of God and then he says and uh, verse 4, just kind of a verse 3 actually, uh, a summary. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. We are glad as we reflect on the great things God has done for us. That is so instructive for us. So instructive that when we remember the great things God has done for us, there is joy. We are to remember those things. We are to look back. We are to reflect. And we are to be glad now for the great things God has done for us in the past. So how about you? How about you? What has the Lord done for you? What great things has the Lord done for you? Are you glad? Are you glad now for the great things the Lord has done? What are some of the great things? Well, you know, we could actually spend the next hour or two just thinking about the great things the Lord has done and, and, and really not be done. Actually, if we really want to do it, it would take a lifetime to, to go through all of us and thoroughly exhaust all that the Lord has done. And at the top of the list is what He has done for us in Christ. 
The most amazing thing the Lord has done. The most amazing thing the Lord has done in restoring our fortunes is what He's done in Christ. That, that God in His amazing love, in His amazing kindness, in His amazing grace, He has reached out and He has sent His Son. And He sent His Son to, to He gave His Son for us. The Son was given, the Son was sent to live life on this planet as a man, as the God-man, and to live a righteous life. To live a life of obedience to the Father. To obey the Father in every way and to so live that he, he deserved, deserved all the promises and all the blessings promised in Scripture. But then what he did is that he, he in this righteous life, he chose to offer up that righteous life in your place. He went to the cross and, and went to the cross to, to offer up that worthy life, that perfect life, to the Father on your behalf and to take your sins upon Him. And then to suffer the just penalty for those sins. The, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. To live in sin. And sin, sin is rebellion against God. Sin is saying, God, I don't want it your way. I want it my way. I don't want to have you as the center of my life or the universe. I want something else, really me, to be the center. It's rejecting God and His ways. And it's cosmic treason. And the just penalty for God, He must, he must be just, He is just, is to, is to bring death. Death is essentially, a, it's more than physical death, it's a spiritual death, it's separation from God. It's brokenness in the relationship. And, and if we persist in our sin without running to His solution, we will experience eternal death, eternal separation. That's justice. But the good news, the amazing news, the great thing that God has done for us is send His Son to bear that penalty for you. To take that sin on Himself on that cross to receive the, the holy justice, the holy wrath of God on Himself for you. It says that God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. He didn't spare His Son so He could spare you. His Son received the punishment we deserve that we might receive the reward He deserved. That's amazing. And, and, and all we're called to do in that is to simply, very simply, turn from sin. Just say, I don't want that. I don't want sin. It's a, it's a bunch of lies. It's destructive. It's evil. It's wrong. I don't want to sin against God anymore. It doesn't mean that you stop sinning entirely. You'll still struggle. But it's a change in attitude to say, I don't want that. I want this. I want Jesus more than my sin. I want forgiveness. I want life with Him more than my sin. So I turn from my sin and I trust in Christ. It's very simple. And the Bible promises us when, when we turn and trust that all that Christ has done for us in His death and His resurrection is ours. All of our sins are forgiven. We're reconciled to Him. We belong to Him. There's peace with God through Christ. And, and all the, the blessings that He deserves are now ours. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ for us when we belong to Him through faith. That is the most amazing thing that God has done for you or for me or for any of us. By far. God has done great things for us. 
God has done great things for us in Christ. God has done great things for you in Christ. Psalm 126 says we are to be glad in that. He has been good to us. And it is appropriate to look back and remember what He's done for us on the cross. To, to live in that. To reflect on that. He has been good to us in Christ. And, and He's been good to us in so many other ways. That is the ultimate way. There, you can't top what He's done for us in Christ. That truth, what He has done, um, done through His death and resurrection. What He did for us 2,000 years ago. And that's plenty of material to do what Psalm 126 is doing. That's plenty of material to keep on looking back and, and thinking about how He's restored our fortunes. And how we were like those who dream. We should continually, if we understand what He's done for us in Christ, walk around pinching ourselves. I can't believe it that I'm forgiven. I, is this a dream? I'm really forgiven by God. I, I'm really reconciled to God. I'm, I'm really counted as His uh, daughter or son. I can't believe it. I have eternal life in the Lord. And He promises all things to work for my good. Wake up! Is this a dream? That is plenty of material to live like that. Plenty of material to, to go throughout our days with our mouths full of laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Indeed, there's difficulty in life. I'm not denying that. I'm not calling us to be phony. I'm just calling us to live in, in what God has already done in Christ that's firmly established and guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. So to live life knowing that joy even in difficult circumstances. Being glad, even when life is hard. There's plenty of other things the Lord has done for us. I, I have two pages worth of stuff here as I just thought about it. And, and, you, and this, these are all exercises uh, that we can, we can practice. Just thinking, I was just thinking about how good He's been to us as a country. Celebrated the 4th of July last week. And, 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 and in saying all these things, I don't mean to deny our deficiencies, our weaknesses, our national sins. I don't mean to deny those things. But God has been good to us. Just the spiritual heritage in this country is fantastic. If you, if you review history, the, the, the revivals that God has done throughout the, the ages in, in America and the blessings that have come through those revivals... The, the work of the Puritans that's, that started the country and influenced that. That was a revival that God had begun in England uh, and, and affected all these people. They came over here with, with these values, with these, with these uh, biblical values, with this love of the gospel. Read the Puritans. They, they aren't what your history teacher in high school taught you they were. They're a wonderful group of people. Certainly had their errors, but a wonderful group of people affected by the gospel. The, the first great awakening in the 1740s, and, and that, that continued. The, the second great awakening in the early 1800s, that continued for about 50 years or so. The, the prayer revival of the 1850s that God brought before the Civil War. The, the 19th, late 19th century revival under, under Moody and others in our country, the, the Azusa Street revival, the, the, uh, the post-World War II revivals that went on. And, uh, you can read about, even in Boston, the Billy Graham crusade in 1949-1950 left, a, left a, a significant spiritual imprint on our region. I, have, I heard a, a regional church leader say that, that a lot of the leaders uh, who were part of the, the Jesus movement in the 70s, which is another revival, came to Christ through the Billy Graham crusade. There were tens of thousands of people affected by that crusade in the, in the late 40s and 50s. Uh, you can read about it more in, I think in his biography, Billy Graham actually felt like God was calling him to stay 
they continued the revival, that he missed the Lord in a sense by moving on. And of course, the, the Jesus People Revival of the 70s. That's where our movement, Sovereign Grace Ministries, comes out of, that Jesus movement of the 70s. We are experiencing a quiet revival now in New England. Uh, the past 10 years, or actually, uh, yeah, from 2000 to 2005, 100 churches planted in Massachusetts. Probably another 100 or 200 planted since then. Uh, our, our, the Christian growth is... Um, outgrown the population by 4% in Massachusetts. Vermont's the fastest-growing Christian population in the nation. Pretty wild. There's some things going on. Uh, in Haverhill alone, there are, I believe, four or more churches that were planted or, or came to Haverhill in the past five years. There's stuff going on. Zion Bible College locating right here. God has been gracious in just all this activity around us. He, he, he has been working in our country. He's been working around us and... and and in so many ways, and I could say more, I could, I could say more about the, the blessings in our country as well, the other blessings of freedom and virtue. Again, there's sin, there's weakness, but there's, there's much good, there's much blessing that's come to us. God has been good. And, and that's, that's not to mention the personal ways that He is continually good to us day by day and season by season. Food, clothing, shelter, safety, family, churches, all these ways that He has blessed us. Our church, King of Grace, has been greatly blessed. I mean, it, to be here and to be experiencing His grace, to be in a building, for those who were with us in 2005 and earlier, um, even three years ago, you know what God has done. These blue chairs used to fit everybody, and we still had space. Um, God has been blessing and using us. There's just so many things we could do. And and, and Psalm 126 calls us to live this way, to live in light of how we've been blessed, to be able to say the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. So let me ask, does this describe your life? Are you somebody, when others get around you, you can't help but tell them about how God has been good to you? Or is your life defined by other things? Now, I'm not saying to ignore the other things. I'm not saying to be phony. I'm not saying to ignore the trials and the failures. I'm not saying that. But, but the goodness of the Lord is so profound in our lives, first and foremost in Christ, beyond anything else, but in all these other ways, that when people encounter us, they should encounter glad people. They should encounter people that know they've been blessed. Yes, people who are honest uh, and perhaps at times raw in their struggles. Yes, but but people who have, even in those things, a gladness, a joy that overrides that. A people that are aware of how God has been good to us. Do people encounter that in you? Or is the first word out of your mouth what's wrong with life? Or what's deficient? Or what you're unhappy about? We should be people, as we live in the, the goodness of God, Full of gladness. Let me just suggest a, a, a few ways to practice this in our lives. A few ways to grow this in our lives. And, I, and, and, and by the way, just so you know, I need to grow a lot in this area. And there are times when, when to talk to me, the first thing you will hear is what's wrong with life. And God has been teaching me, I've been sharing as we go through this series, about that and how I need to change. Here are some ways that I think will help us change. First, first, I'd encourage you to remember the cross and the empty tomb every day. Every day. Actively thank Christ in your morning devotions. Thank Christ before you go to sleep at night. 
for dying for your sins and rising again. Remember. Remember that final and full work. Do it daily. Come to church weekly to be reminded. Go to small group regularly to be reminded. Spend time with Christian friends to remind each other. Live in the light of the cross and resurrection. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Remember what God has done for you in Christ. Secondly, make it a regular practice to give thanks to God and worship God. Make it a regular practice to count your blessings. Learn to count your blessings. And, I, and, and do it out loud if you can. I'm not saying you have to. But count your blessings even out loud. Learn to exhaust the counting of your blessings. Learn to think through the ways that God has been good to, to you and speak them out loud. Tell them back to God. Remember them. Rehearse them. Do that in, whether it's in your quiet time or prayer time at the end of the day. But find time even daily to count your blessings and rehearse those blessings. And give thanks to God. And then worship God for how His character is shown through those blessings. How you see His mercy, His love, His wisdom, His kindness, His patience, His glory, His justice. Worship Him. Practice that. And learn to be a worshiper, a fully old worshiper of God. Thirdly, tell others about how God has been good to you. Tell others. In Philemon 6, uh, Paul says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing God has done, given to you, I think is what it says, given to you. So, active in sharing your faith so you have a full understanding of everything God has given to you. When we share our faith, when we share how God has blessed us, it grants us an awareness and a joy there. So tell others about what God has done for you. It's a great way to share Christ with others. And you don't have to go in and say, right away, let me tell you what God has done for me in Christ. You can just say, well, I mean, they're going to ask, too. If this is happening in our lives and we're learning to sow this in, they're going to say, why are you so happy today? They've given you permission to say, God has blessed me. And then talk about how he's done that. Say, you know, it could be, uh, I'm just thankful for a great day. Just aware that God gives us all these great days to enjoy. And, And as you talk... Look for a chance to tell them about the greatest blessing, which is that God has given His Son for you. And share that. So tell others. Fourthly, just some ideas. We can make more than four, but uh, learn to do this as a family. Do this as a family. Spend time thanking God and worshiping God as a family. It's an area for me as a, as a father I'm realizing there's been a deficiency. I don't know if I've faithfully led my family in giving thanks and worshiping God in line with that. So take time to do that. Maybe it's at the dinner table. Maybe it's in family devotions. But to do that, to to lead by example, to to instruct your children how to live a thankful life, looking back at how God has been good to you and being glad in Him, even when it's hard, remembering that and instruct our children. They will be blessed. It will affect them. We must spend our lives rejoicing in what God has done for us. The psalmist goes on. We also... The rest of the psalm calls us to live for what God will do. To live for what God will do. The psalmist spends time talking about what he's done and celebrating, and then he goes into verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. It's actually the same phrase as verse 1, uh, that's sometimes translated uh, when the Lord restored our captivity. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. 
He's asking the Lord to come once again to restore their fortunes. He's looking back and saying, God, restore our fortunes. And it was so great. And we are glad thinking about how He's blessed us. But now, Lord, we ask You to restore our fortunes again. They're in some sort of hard situation. We don't know what the specifics are. Again, it would fit the, uh, the exiled community having come back, the post-exilic community. Having come back, because if we read the history in Ezra and Nehemiah, we see that they came back... And certainly there was joy, but then they started to face opposition. That the, the people who, peoples who had been uh, uh, put back in that area, who had come from elsewhere, opposed the work of rebuilding the temple, opposed the rebuilding of the wall. And so it was difficult. It was very difficult for them to be there. And so that would fit the situation, perhaps, as they think about what, that God has restored them. And now asking, Lord, restore our fortunes like streams in the negative. Here we are, Lord, things are difficult. Would you restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev? Now you're probably thinking, what has streams in the Negev had to do with restoring our fortunes? Well, the Negev was the desert area. Uh, I think we have a picture to put up. The Negev was the desert area, is the desert area in southern Israel. And the streams in the Negev are usually dry. They're just dry stream beds. And, and uh, there, there's, there's stream beds that go down, go down like in gullies, down hills. There's stream beds in canyons. And they're normally dry. But in the rainy season, which is in the winter time for them, uh, these streams can suddenly fill with a torrent of water. This is actually uh, footage from the Zin River in the Negev. And that's what it normally looks like on the left. And there's a little canyon right there. And you see all those people up in the upper right watching? These, this is from a, actually pulled off a YouTube video. Uh, it, they're there, it's December 26th, it's the rainy season, and they're there to watch the water come down. And a minute after that picture is taken, that's looking towards this, what is going to be a waterfall. All right? A minute or so later, that's from where those people, the next picture, lower right, is from the vantage point of where those people are. Looking, that's the waterfall, they're looking back. A minute or two later, that's what it looked like. The, the stream, the, the, the water, it was a flash flood, just came rushing through this river and flooded it. I mean, it was just a, a torrent. You can go on YouTube and find it and listen to the audio. It's a torrent of water that comes rushing through. It's a flash flood that comes in in the rainy season. And so the, the psalmist is grabbing a hold of this image and saying, Lord, would you restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev, like a flash flood, Lord? Would you come in? Would you come in suddenly and dramatically? And would you bless? And these, these, uh, these floods can be a blessing. They restore the the uh, reservoirs, they replenish the water table, they bless along that stream bed so that there's growth and fertility. And so he's asking, Lord, would you come and would you restore our fortunes like a flash flood? Would you come like a flash flood and work again? Isn't that interesting that he says, restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev? Isn't it interesting that God put this in the Bible? Psalm 126, verse 4, is in the Word of God. God put this in His Word. And I think he did it probably for a few reasons, but one reason that I think of is because he wants us to ask God to restore our fortunes like streams in the negative. There's a lot in Scripture that teaches us about waiting on the Lord. There's a lot in Scripture that calls us to be patient. There's a lot in Scripture that, that calls us to look forward to the final fulfillment of all the promises when Christ, Christ comes back and establishes his eternal reign. There's a lot of scripture that calls that, and certainly it is right for us to orient ourselves that way, to be patient, to ask the Lord to work, and to, to live for that final day 
And that's proper. But also, we are also to ask the Lord to restore our fortunes like a flash flood. God doesn't want us to be so occupied on His fulfillment on that day or a day down the road that we forget about this day. It is no more honoring to God, really, to, 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 to merely think about the final day and not this day. God wants to be honored by us. Yes, indeed, waiting for the final day, working for the final day, but asking for God to work in this day. To say, Lord, restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. Come like a flash flood. Bless us. Help us. We need you today. And I want us to be a church and a people that do that. We both ask for the final day and labor for the final day, but we ask for today. And we live expectantly for God to come like a flash flood today. He's Lord over that. He can answer today just as well as tomorrow. He can answer this day as well as a hundred years from now. He can do it either way as it pleases Him. And it pleases Him for us to ask, Lord, come like a flash flood. To ask Him to work in our lives in this way. To come suddenly and dramatically. And, and the history of the church and your history probably is full of, I'm sure, answers like that. Flash flood type answers. <clears throat> I, I, uh, I mean, I, I, I've shared lots of these things in the past. I think of guys like godly men, George Mueller. Uh, I was looking at Reese Howell, who is a wonderful man of prayer. Um, interesting person. Um, but I was just thinking in my own life, one of these flash flood answers and, uh, to prayer. I, I was at a conference. I've shared this before. Some of you may have heard. I was at a conference when I was an engineer, and my roommate was a, uh, a committed atheist who had grown up in communist China. And he was a nice guy. And we spent some time together talking. Um, Ji Lu was uh, his name. And I actually tried yesterday to get back in contact with him. But this is years ago. This is uh, back in 97. And, and anyhow... I was getting to know G. Lou, and, and one evening I came back, he was, we were roommates uh, in this suite, and I noticed uh, there was some medicine that was out on a table, and, uh, and then I looked in and his door was open, G. Lou was sitting there on his bed, and, um, and I asked him, you know, what's going on? And, and he told me that, that uh, he had a very serious back problem and he didn't have any more medicine. He had run out of medicine and he, and he was in pain in bed, and he was going to have to go home and miss the rest of the conference. And uh, I just felt like the Lord calling me, you know, to pray for him. And, uh, and so I said, um, I forget his first name. I think it was like Guangzhai, um, but I call him Ji Lu. Um, I just said, hey, uh, Ji, um, you know, I, I believe that God uh, is real and he loves to show himself. And so would it be all right for me to pray for you, just ask God to heal you, that he might show you that he's alive and he's real? And, and I, you know, I'm not any big powerful miracle guy or anything like that, if you know me. Um, but I just was being obedient, you know, and, and I wasn't being, I don't think I was being presumptuous. I just wanted to, to pray for him. I felt like God wanted me to do that. So he said, sure. And I just, I, I prayed for him. I prayed that God would heal his back and show him that he's God. And, uh, and this guy's a, a committed atheist. They were, they were trained, actually. They would go to classes to learn why God doesn't exist, by the way. Um, so I prayed that. And I said, you know, do you feel any different or anything? He said, no. Thanks, you know, and he went to bed, and, and I thought, okay, you know, I'll, I, I stopped to be obedient. I'm gathered with a bunch of engineering friends the next morning at coffee break. Uh, we're sitting there, they're all around. These guys don't know the Lord. And here comes G, right up in the middle of the group, uh, going, 
Paul, Paul, my back, it's, it's all better. Out loud, uh, celebrating what God had done. Um, and, and, I mean, God came in a flash flood answer to that prayer and touched his life. And we continued to correspond. And, uh, and um, God, I don't know if he came to Christ, but wonderful things were happening. This one little example of a flash flood answer. God loves to answer those prayers with flash floods. And we should live expectantly looking for those things and asking God. And whether it be someone who doesn't know the Lord or, or just some need or problem, maybe, maybe there's a loved one you want to know the Lord, maybe there's a, a problem in your life that you're facing, uh, maybe uh, you, you need a, a, a job, you need supply, you need finances, or whatever it might be, God wants us to ask Him to come and answer with a flash flood like streams in the Negev. So the psalmist Praise that. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the negative. Let us be people who ask like that. Lord, come in power. Come now. He goes on in this psalm also to talk about the other way that God answers prayers. There are flash flood answers. There are answers that come through regular sowing. And so he goes on, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. He's using a picture, an agricultural picture here, that in the ancient world, to sow for the harvest, you actually had to take some of your crop from that year and sacrifice it for sowing. You could eat it otherwise. But in order to sow for the next year, you had to let it be seed and then give it away. And so in a sense, to sow is to sow in tears. It was to kind of throw away your money, to throw away your crop, sowing in tears, so that you might have a crop come. And that's what the psalmist is getting a hold of, to give us a picture of the Christian life. That to live the Christian life, to live the life as a believer, is to sow in tears. It's to go out with bearing the seed for sowing, and to sacrifice our lives, to invest our lives, to do things that look stupid otherwise. If God doesn't deliver on this thing, it's just a waste of time. And that's what it is to be a believer, isn't it? I mean, why are you here today? It's a beautiful day out there. You could be at the beach. This makes no sense if this isn't real. It makes no sense to, to, to do the things we're called to do. It no, makes no sense to embarrass yourself in front of your neighbor to share Christ with them. If there isn't truth here. If there isn't a return, it, it makes no sense to, to give away your money for missions or your local church. It makes no sense. It's a waste of time. That's sowing seed. It's giving things away. It's investing a life. It's, it's making choices in your life, how you live. That looks stupid if it isn't true that there will be a harvest. And the psalmist is tapping into that. He's looking back, thinking what God has done and rejoicing over that. And then saying, Lord, restore our fortunes. And Lord, this is the lifestyle you call us to. We're going to sow. We're going we're to invest. We're going to sow into what you call us to. And the promise is that he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Galatians 6 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. In due season. And that season might be next week. That due season might be a month from now. It might be a year. It might be ten years. It might be a hundred years from now. Some of the wonderful work in the world right now came from people who sowed 
over decades and lifetimes. Right now we are seeing unprecedented uh, growth in the world. China is seeing 10,000 converts a day. Uh, they believe it, uh, by 2050, India and China will have more believers than the United States. Um, uh, there are reported 8,000 conver- uh, conver- conversions per day in Latin America. I believe New England is on the verge of, of seeing a harvest. But these things have come from people who have sowed for lifetimes in these places, who have sowed in tears. But now there's a harvest coming. In due season, that harvest comes. It might be short-term, it might be long-term. We are called to live for what God will do. The band could come up as we close. This Psalm 126, such a wonderful psalm. It instructs us on how to live. It instructs us in the importance of looking back to rejoice, to rejoice over what the Lord has done. To rejoice over what the Lord has done. And in, in, from that perspective of thanksgiving and gladness for what He has done, we invest our lives. We live for what He will do. We live for the flash floods. We ask Him to come in the flash floods. We ask Him to come soon and dramatic. But we also sow. We also live our lives. We also invest our lives for that harvest that will come. That's the wonderful lesson of Psalm 126. I pray as we go from this place, we'll be thinking about how to live in light of this psalm. How to align our lives with this psalm. And so just as we, as we close, perhaps write this down on your notes if you're taking notes, but think about how to better align your life with Psalm 126. Is there something that needs to change? Do you need to practice rejoicing more over what God has done? Do you need to rehearse those four things we talked about? Are, are those things you can do? Is there some way you need to live more for what He will do? Do you need to grow in your practice and your faith for Him to act suddenly and dramatically? Have you become so oriented towards the final day that you no longer ask for today? He wants us to do both. Do you need to grow in your faithfulness and joy so you're sowing for what He will do? You're enduring the sowing for the final harvest. How can you, how can we align our lives with Psalm 126? God's Word to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this psalm. We thank You for how it inspires us and how it instructs us. Lord, we want to learn to live life In light of this psalm, we want to learn to live life looking at what you have done and rejoicing over what you have done. Rejoicing over Christ crucified and risen for us and all that that means. Rejoicing over your past graces in many ways. Being glad. And then living for what you will do. Both in asking for those dramatic answers and sowing for those long-term answers, Lord. Make us a people who live in light of Psalm 126 for our joy, for the joy of those around us, for your glory.